Welcome to the Hamumu Halloween Home Horror Hoedown, the podcast where we watch scary movies so you don't have to. From award-winning to completely unknown, we take them all way too seriously. I'm your host, Mike Hommel. And I'm your host, Solange Hommel. Now warning, we use a ghoulish number of spoilers, so watch the movies first. Second warning, we don't know anything about anything, so don't take us seriously as we take these movies seriously. We bought a bag of mandarin oranges, Bella brand, and the slogan on the bag is, they're worth the peel. And the premise of that statement is like that peeling is an arduous task and you're going to have to really consider whether you really want to get into this orange or not. But these ones, they're so good that it's worth peeling an orange to get to them. Huh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I I will say there are people for whom peeling an orange is actually a difficult task. True. That could be a problem you have. But I see what you're saying. Like, this doesn't seem to be talking to those people. Like, they're not saying, like... They're like, unlike all those other oranges where you peel through them and you're like, oh, why did I bother doing all of that? Yeah. Although I will say, some oranges don't taste that great. And you peel them and you're like, why did I bother doing all of that? That is the twist in this story. Okay. Because... I took one out, and, you know, these are mandarins. They're like tangerines almost. They're very... Like cuties. Yeah, they're real easy to peel normally. Sure. It like comes right off. No, this was very hard to peel. It <gasps> was, was this on their way? tight like a real orange. Their, their, their slogan is their way of telling you, like, mm, you <laughs> think this is going to be easy, but it's not. But just wait, it'll be worth it. That might be the case. Was it worth it? I'm going to say for the amount of effort I put in, it was like 50-50. It was on the verge of not being worth it because it wasn't great. It wasn't bad. Okay. It was okay. Are you going to tie this to the movie in some way? No. (laughs) I just wanted to tell you about the oranges. That's delightful. Yesterday, I saw a link on Mastodon, which I think everybody, you should be on Mastodon because Twitter's full of Nazis now. And it's not bad. It's... Obviously doesn't have the depth of content that Twitter does and the Nazis, but, you know, it's a nice little way to get some good info from the world around you. I follow, like, the Ukraine war news, and it's just like this endless flood of, like, a Russian tank got blown up right here. And Yeah, crazy. I come into your office sometimes, and, like, you have Mastodon open on your extra yeah. monitor, and, like, I see that the your, your, your Mastodon, like, stream is basically... Ukraine war news interspersed with hourly photos of like otters and foxes and I don't know what else. Kittens. And kittens. All three of those come in. Oh, and red pandas. One of each of those every hour. Which is an interesting way to consume your news. It's like... (laughs) It's like the Texas ledge watch. It is. It's like taking a sip of poison, followed by a sip of antidote, yeah. followed by a sip of poison, followed by a sip I mean, of antidote. I think that's the idea, because the poison includes information you should know about the world. So it's worth it. It's worth the poison. <laughs> okay. So now are you going to tie it into our movie? Yeah, because 
on Mastodon, I've got a link to a YouTube video by Ghost Pirate Entertainment, where he said, these are the movies on Tubi that are worth watching. And so we dove into that list, and I said, we're going to hit some of these. And today we watched Wrong Turn from 2003. Yes. We kind of picked it randomly from the list that you wrote down. But also I was excited when I realized this was the one we had picked randomly because it has one of our favorite Buffy the Vampire Slayer alumni in it. (laughs) Eliza Dushku. Eliza Dushku. Who I am realizing, at least when she was young, didn't have a lot of range. Well, she just played Faith all the time. Yeah, but I think that was when this was because then I thought about Dollhouse and like that's very different. That was like right after. So I think maybe this was just they were like, no, no, you're you're doing it wrong. Just be faith. That's why we hired you. That's very possible. That is very possible because I I don't want to suggest that I don't think that Elisha Dushku is a good actress because I think she's amazing. I've loved her in everything she's done. But in this movie, I fully expected her to describe (laughs) things as five by five because she was just being the same character that she is in Buffy. Yes, she was definitely, I mean, it was Faith. She was wearing her own wardrobe, apparently, and she was Faith. (laughs) Yeah. Unfortunately, what I realized by the time we got to the end of this movie is that that character is a very specific character that I, back in 2003, was like, yeah, I like her. Because it was like, you're finally seeing strong female characters, uh-huh. right? That was the that was the Buffy theme. Right. But now, after 20 years of evolution in storytelling and 20. representation for women in movies and TV shows, strong women, I'm realizing that she is that not like other girls character mm-hmm. and and even more specifically so in this movie because the other two female characters, one is like the yoga instructor girlfriend, like skinny and sort of new agey, but in a really like, I only drink green drinks kind of way. Like, I don't know. I don't know how to describe that, but she was a very specific, sexy, but easily disregarded kind of yeah. woman. She was pathetic. Yes. And then the other one was the like slutty stoner girl. Yeah. So Eliza's character was very specifically like, oh, so she's not traditionally sexy. Never mind that Eliza (laughs) Dushku is gorgeous and very traditionally sexy. (laughs) But like she's not traditionally sexy, but we find her sexy because she can fight and she knows how to like shoot a bow and arrow and she drives stick shift. Like... (laughs) Well, not just stick shift, but tow truck. So, I mean, there was some complicated oh, shifting. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, like she was that special manly girl mm-hmm. who's also, but still really sexy. Yeah. I mean, definitely, I feel like it's the girl who was raised by her dad and four brothers and there was no mom. Yes. And so she only knows how to be a boy. But here's the thing. That doesn't happen in real life, because if that's how you're raised, you don't know how to look the way Eliza Dushku looks. That's true. Like, you don't grow up... Yeah, she had a hairstylist. Right. You don't grow up knowing how to do your hair and do your makeup and prioritizing those things. And that goes along with my primary thought about this whole movie, 
was that this movie was very specifically targeted to the yuppie dudes who were no longer... I mean, I think it, I, they were trying to target it to the younger audience, according yes. to, like, whatever, articles and stuff. But when you look at what's happening and who is in the movie and who is, like, the good guy and the winner of the movie, mm-hmm. it's a mid-20s preppy med school guy who yeah. ends up out in the woods and then is somehow, like, miraculously the most capable human being on the planet, yeah. even with a gunshot wound to his leg. You know, they like to talk about Mary Sue's and how, like, Mary Sue's can do anything and, you know, oh, how uh-huh. are women aren't really like that. Like, dude, neither are men. <laughs> it's true. If your whole life has been studying for med school, you're not out fighting off three super strong... Yes, super strong. ...serial killers in the woods. So, like, the whole movie was this idea of, like, okay, you're really, like, you're rich, and you fit into society, and you're going to be a doctor, but you also, if put in a really dangerous, unusual position, would be completely successful and would manage to save the girl who is definitely going to watch football with you (laughs) once you get home and are safe and is never going to complain if you go out with the guys. You know what she's going to do is uh, she would take her bottle of beer and crack the... uh, the cap off on the edge of the coffee table. Oh, for sure. She would never complain if you put a glass on the coffee table Mm -hmm. without a coaster. Like she'll let the boys come over every Sunday (laughs) for football. Like she's going to be not like other girls. She's not like other girls. No, she's not going to be mad at you if you throw your socks all around, but also she's definitely going to make sure your laundry is always done. (laughs) Like, it was so, like, everything about this movie was just, like, emotional porn for rich white dudes. Yeah. From the get-go, it looked like she would be the final girl. And, but at the same time, I also got very big protagonist vibes from Chris the Doctor. Of course. And so I'm like, are they going to both make it out? That's no fun. She should be legit final girl and you know he can die saving her or whatever and that's not what happened they both made it out and in the end it does feel like it's his story and he just got the girl so some of my notes at the end because they really they like she was she was hardcore through the whole yeah, movie she was like, very capable i really i was the same i was like oh she's gonna end up being the final girl and that's the character that eliza dushku plays like yes. she she doesn't play characters who aren't the final girl, right? Yeah. But what I noticed toward the end is I'm like, okay, so she's she's been able to fight and protect herself and like, you know, do good things. She's smart. She like figured things out. She's not like the yogi girl who was dumb as a post. <laughs> yeah. But at the end, when they're fighting off the bad guys in like that final extended, they keep coming back kind of scene. Yes, it just kept coming back. <laughs> she had to get caught, strapped down to a table restrained with a gag in her mouth. Mm -hmm. Like there were some very like intentional, almost BDSM kind of imagery going on there. And he came in and saved her and she gazed adoringly at him Mm -hmm. and said, thank you. And I'm like, okay, it's gross enough that this woman is having to be saved by a man in this way. Mm -hmm. 
And, and not that I think there's anything inherently gross about one person saving another person and what their genders are. It's just that that's how it always goes. Yeah. But it's even more gross when you think about how much effort they put in to making her strong and then weakening her to the point where she needed to be saved by a man. Yeah. And in order to set up this finale, we've got the first time ever that these, we haven't mentioned, inbred hillbillies captured someone alive instead of murdering them because they can't kill the final girl. They had to capture her. Right. And there's uh, there's kind of two ways to look at that, which is there's the very tropey, dumb nature of it, which is that, you know, we had to capture her to give him the reason to come back and fight them. You know, because she has to be able to get away and, you know, they have to set up that tension. Dumb story reasons. Mm. But then also, there were three hillbillies. They were all men. There were no women left to inbreed with. Yeah. So it feels like there might have been another reason they were capturing her. It definitely gave those vibes at the end. It wouldn't fix their inbreeding problem, though. Uh, well, I, I mean, maybe. I don't know. It definitely felt that way at the end. It was, there were a lot of like yucky, yucky tropes that were brought into this that were very early 2000s. <laughs> like, we've recognized that we need to start making women, stop making women like just whimper in the corner all the time. But also, the guy who finally blows up the building has to be a guy, yeah. not some woman. Not some woman. Yeah. And it brings up the idea of male gaze versus female gaze and how prevalent male gaze was even among stories that were trying to have strong female protagonists and how the difference in accurate representation in storytelling isn't in how you tell the story of the people who haven't been represented in stories it's letting those people tell the stories themselves. Yes, their and that stories. seems to be something that people really, really struggle with. Yeah, well, definitely because it involves giving them power, like as opposed to just being an actor in your movie. They yes. have to get to be the writer and the director. <laughs> yes, it involves not having your choice of every single possible movie as yeah. something that belongs to you. And then, you know, competition becomes harder because suddenly there are movies that don't belong to you in some way. That's true. And also, everyone's tired of hearing the rich white male stories. I mean, not everyone, obviously. Rich white men are mostly fine with it. But it it is harder (laughs) to sell those stories now because, you know, people like me are becoming more common where they're like, yeah, I don't care about that story anymore. I want to see myself on the screen in some way. But you were. You were tied up and got rescued by the white man. Oh, such a relief. This movie made me Google, does inbreeding cause deformities? Because, you know, I know there are problems with inbreeding, but in movies, we always get the kind of mutanty people that you don't generally see in real life. And in this movie, way more than normal, even. Like, these people were like, they looked like cavemen, like like pre-human. The gist I got during the course of one Tubi commercial on this was that, yes, of course it causes deformities because, you know, recessive genes get to do their thing. 
but generally not anything extreme. One of the fun examples was the royal family of Spain, I believe, the Habsburgs. There's something called the Habsburg jaw, really big jaws and a like a pointy, droopy, like witch nose hanging down over it. So it's like, Interesting. it was described as a facial deformity as opposed to just not good looking people. <laughs> Interesting. So like that was a thing that started to happen because yeah. recessive genes came in. Yeah. The real inbreeders in the world are the royalty, not the hillbillies. Yeah, for sure. I definitely made notes that like in movies where they want to have some kind of backwoods serial killer yeah. kind of guy, it's always someone who is the product of inbreeding and they always have super strength. Yes. They can't feel pain. There are deformities. There are definitely mental limitations. And they are always extremely violent. Yeah. Well, I mean, they got to be because they're cannibals. But it's always kind of suggested that, like, <laughs> if somebody inbreeds enough, they're going to become yeah. a cannibal. Well, yeah, of course. Why wouldn't they? Like, it, it's weird. And that was yet another issue where I was like, oh, this is really, really gross. How it's very much suggesting that... Even if you take away the inbreeding part of it, just like it sets up the idea in people who haven't had a lot of experience around anyone with physical or mental disabilities that anyone who sort of makes you uncomfortable because they don't look or, or think the same way that you do is dangerous. Like, like that given half a chance, they will knock you over the head with a club and throw you in a stew. And cops believe all that stuff for sure. It's really, it's very gross. And then when you mention the cops, the cop at the end, like there are two cops in this movie. One of them gets ambushed, (laughs) like as he's trying to save them, like he pulls up in his car and they're like, oh, thank God, you know, save us. And then he gets shot in the head with a an arrow. The other one shows up after the fact. Yeah, the post-credits not, scene. Was it post-credits? Uh, it was post a piece of the credits. Yeah. He shows up and he's like, oh, this building has burned down and like, we definitely got a call that there was an issue here. What's yeah. going on? And he is also ambushed by of course, these like indestructible, right? They blew up their entire cabin in a massive fireball, and they're fine. Like they're burned. Well, at but least still one alive. is. We we only know for sure one is. Alive. But he also but, gets yeah. ambushed, and again, it reinforces this idea for the general population. And I have to assume for people who serve in law enforcement, like if you are fed this storyline that anytime you go anywhere, you're about to be ambushed, it creates like this fear-based idea. Well, also that he went to, you know, this rundown, obviously super poor house. And he's like, let's go check this out. No, cops should never, should be terrified of poor people. Absolutely. Because they could be hillbillies that murder you. Absolutely. And it creates this idea that that we should have sympathy if cops overreact because, well, what could have happened? They could have been attacked by cannibals and eaten and no one would have been there. Like, no, no. (laughs) And I know that there are people who I know who are in law enforcement and who would like... Tell me that I have no idea. I run across cannibals once a week. No, but they're like, you have no idea how dangerous it really is. I'm like, okay, that is true. It's true. And also, 
it's not as dangerous as like movies and TV shows try to tell me it is. Yeah. Because our world would be a very different place if police officers were ambushed by cannibals anytime they went out into the woods alone. Like it just, yeah, it's fear mongering as storytelling and it's gross and I don't like it. Something I was having trouble with in the movie was like, definitely this representation, and I keep using the word hillbilly and I feel like even that is already, that's like a slur of some kind. Yes. All this representation of like, this is what people who live in the woods are like is very prejudiced. It's some kind of, I don't even know what to call it. It's, you know, it's like racism, but it's not. It's, yeah, it's a bias against... It's a, a bias against the poor, certainly. And rural communities, yeah. frankly. Yeah. And as someone who grew up in the middle of 20 acres of pine forest in yeah. a very rural in part a cannibal of Minnesota... Community. <laughs> this movie did not re- <laughs> represent my people. No. Having grown up in a very rural community, it's problematic. It really is. And then you add in like the whole idea that this is in West Virginia. And so it's like, what, Appalachian Mountains kind of like, there's this idea that the people who live in the mountains because they're poor, because they've been denied education, because the industry, the coal industry that grew those communities is dying and is doing nothing to help those communities, just like abandoning them in the mountains. There's this idea that all of these things mean that these people are are dumb and violent and, and the, non-human. Uh, a legal valid target for mockery. Yes. You know, it, it's okay. Yes. This movie was definitely not punching up. Always connecting these people with this Mm -hmm. idea. It's stereotyping. Yeah. And it's stereotyping that very, very specifically ignores all the systemic things that have caused situations where this sort of stereotype might come into play. Like stereotypes are built from things that happen. Yeah. But it's the assumption that things that happen always happen. Yeah, and they and, define that group. Right, they define that group, and it's completely outside the context of why those things are happening. Like, people who live in the mountains away from all cities in West Virginia are stupid and uneducated because they are stupid and uneducatable, yes. rather than because they have been denied access to quality education. Yeah. So... I don't know. This movie gave me lots and lots of reasons to climb up on my soapbox and and be annoyed. (laughs) Climb up on your watchtower, (laughs) which is a thousand feet tall. (laughs) And I guess it had to be because the trees were really tall, but it was, it seemed crazy. It did. It did seem very, very tall. And it was all CGI'd out. It was weird. Like, like there wasn't actually a watchtower that tall. There was some amount of ladder that they kept using over and over. But well, they just kept having them like stand on it, and they're like, "Okay, now we're gonna put, a, you know, sort of high screen. background behind yeah. you, and and now we're gonna put higher background behind you. <laughs> now we're gonna put some eagles flying around <laughs> and some clouds, <laughs> now a jet going by. The CGI in this movie was very like this was. I think this movie took place in Uncanny Valley. <laughs> yeah. Bear Mountain Road in Uncanny Valley. (laughs) Because every time it was that feeling of like, 
it looks like the mountains, <laughs> but it's definitely not the mountains. Like, yeah. like my whole brain would get very uncomfortable with like, this isn't, there's something wrong here, <laughs> but you couldn't quite pinpoint it. I mean, it's because it was 2003. It's the yeah. best they had, but they kind of lean into it with like these crazy, just a few times, but these crazy shots of like, they're up in the trees and the camera like swoops down through the trees and spins around and goes to find the guys on the ground. And it's like all of that was fake uh-huh. and you could totally tell. <laughs> and I'm sure at the time it was very cool and impressive. Yeah. Like I I see the skill that went into it, especially given the, you know, the tools that they had in 2003. But when you look at what, you know, compare that to what we do now and that we don't even necessarily have to use CGI anymore because we just use a drone drone, and actually swoop through the trees. (laughs) Like it's, yeah, it's a whole different world. And it's really funny to think that this movie is 20 years old. Yeah, that's that's a sad thought. <laughs> what else? Like we kind of dove right into all of the like social yeah. problems of this movie. How what else do you want to say about it? These kids were trying to find their way out of the woods before they knew there was any danger and they came across the house where the mutant guys came from. Mm-hmm. And they're exploring this house like you can totally do to other people's houses. I mean, they did have a whole discussion about whether it was okay to go into this other guy's house. But after their discussion, they just swarmed it and started looking through everything. Well, because it was very much driven by Dr. Chris, the entitled white guy who was like, (laughs) I need the phone. I'm obviously, I can go wherever I want. Like, whatever. That was his whole thing from the beginning. But they, they go through and they did not catch on quick enough like they were picking up like human skulls and spinal parts and going hmm wonder what these are for yeah i wonder what happened here wonder why this soup has a hand in it anyway (laughs) jesse finds a bowl full of like key fobs from modern cars they've just walked past a graveyard of vehicles out in the front yeah. yard all you know obviously belonging to other people like right like very recent nice cars uh-huh yeah she's like that's interesting there's a giant bowl full of keys here i wonder where this came from <laughs> i mean from. you could see the wheels were turning but why weren't they getting anywhere what was funny to me is that like it, it kept panning back and forth between chris and jesse who were like chris is seeing all the like here's a table of butchering materials and his med school brain was like, well, that bone (laughs) looks surprisingly human. Yeah. And you know, Sherlock Holmes, Jesse is over there looking at like doll heads and bowls of keys (laughs) and barbed wire and everything. always got doll heads. (laughs) Always. And so we're seeing them and they're clearly starting to put things together. And then we're watching Scott and Carly (laughs) who are just, obliviously wandering around in this horrific building looking for the bathroom bathroom. and she's going to use the bathroom in this den of flies because for some reason going inside a room (laughs) that was filled with putrid filth so that she could pee into a black with mold kind (laughs) of toilet was a better option than just squatting in the woods outside. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe she thought the bathroom wouldn't look like the rest of the house. Well, joke's on her, because the bathroom had a a body disintegrating in the bathtub. Yeah. 
That was the clue that got them over the edge. They saw that, and then Jesse saw the barbed wire, and they had lost their tire because <laughs> yeah. of barbed wire across the road, and then she was like, aha. That one feels a little like, uh, I don't know, people can have barbed wire if they live in the woods. Yeah, like, but can they have barbed says? wire and baby doll heads? Oh, maybe not. <laughs> In a closet filled with young people items, like yeah, a, a canoe paddle. <laughs> but it was a plastic canoe paddle, not a hillbilly canoe paddle, so they knew something was up. Wait, what's a hillbilly <laughs> canoe paddle? You know, like a two by four. <laughs> no, a branch from a tree. A branch from a tree. One other moment in this film that was kind of interesting, because I'm not sure how to think about it, is they're in this watchtower 10,000 feet above the floor of the forest, and the bad guys are coming, climbing up, they're going to get in. So they're like, oh no, the bad guys set fire to the tower, just like I wrote in my notes that they would. Sure. And... So they're in a tower that's burning. So they're like, what can we do? Carly is the genius of the group, smashes out a window and is like, I'd rather jump than burn. And what's funny is she comes up with that idea. Then everyone's like, no, that's ridiculous. Chris goes over to the window, looks out at the trees and goes, no, wait, she's right. And then everybody's <laughs> I've approved this yes. as the, the tough man doctor. They see that there's trees 20 feet down on the side and they're going to jump into the trees and I get it. I don't know what else you're going to do, but there was a movie making moment that was missed here. That was some nice alliteration, by the way. Yes. Um, I'm glad you reported on it. Thank you. They missed out on an opportunity because uh, agreed there were not a lot of options. Taking the risk of jumping was perhaps the, the smartest thing to do. One of them needed to end up, maybe they needed to have an extra like throwaway character who was yeah. still coming on, tagging along with them because they needed somebody to just end up straight up impaled on one of those branches. Yeah. Because I that so. definitely would have happened. Well, and what did happen was they all, you know, smashed through a few, you know, flexi branches and then landed on a firm branch and were okay. But they were so okay. Like they yeah. landed and went oof. And then they kind of got up and like were walking around on tree branches. <laughs> yeah. A hundred feet up. The note that I put in there was these guys are a bunch of acrobats. <laughs> yeah. And they just weren't even injured mm. by this huge fall into trees dr chris had already been shot in the yeah, leg yeah. like he theoretically is injured and has been bleeding and it had zero impact on him yeah unless they needed to demonstrate like ooh, ooh, are we in danger then he would like limp a little bit or whatever yeah, just a little bit yeah ratings although this movie took many wrong turns. Oh, I see what you did there. Nice. It kept me interested because it was very it was a very tense story like, you know, they were always on the edge of being caught and you know, going from one situation to the next. So it it, it kept it exciting throughout. So I enjoyed that. Mhm. Mm and yet, it was nonsense. Mhm. Mm and the whole thing with the, you know, hey, these guys are mutants who live in the woods, is one of those things it, very much like Hatchet that we watched last year or the year before. It was about 
a mutant guy living in a swamp, killing everybody who came around. And it's like that thing where it's it's playing on people's fears of the mentally disabled more than anything else, I think. Yeah. And it ain't good. Mm-mm. I don't know. I just, I don't think that's great. But I'm glad it was exciting and fun throughout to enjoy the mutant monsters. So I would give this movie... Two and a half bear traps out of five. A little sketchy on the uh, whether it's socially acceptable in any way, but pretty fun in terms of the action. Mm-hmm. But not great. Yeah, I, I think that this movie, I want to fully admit that in 2003, had I watched this movie, I probably would have scored it fairly high. Yeah. Because it was it was entertaining. It it's it's like the movies now that you know like the Netflix algorithm like <laughs> writes the script for us. Like it it has all the things that you were supposed to like and that people found entertaining and like thrilling in 2003. Yeah. And I fully admit at that time I would have fallen for this movie. I would have felt like yes. There's a strong female character in a horror movie for once. Like, I would have been down for it. The problem with that is it doesn't age well as we have, you know, the last 20 years have been a huge upgrade and, like, evolution in what the representation of women in storytelling is. That's good. And so... That's why we can't have textbooks anymore or books in our libraries (laughs) because we're learning too much. Right? And and so like this movie just didn't age well because of these things. Or rather, how people evaluate movies has changed dramatically in 20 years. Mm-hmm. And and the things that they put in in this movie, you couldn't get away with them in the same way. Like there are still movies like this being made. Oh yeah. But they would be received in a much more critical fashion. I like seeing how things have changed. Yeah. That being said, because things have changed, I do feel like I'm going to score this movie fairly low. One thing that I feel like I have to like dig into in my own response to movies is I just a few years ago, like four years ago maybe, scored House of a Thousand Corpses <laughs> super high. Yes. And I do feel like there are elements of this movie that are trying to be that movie. Like one of my comments during the movie was like, oh, Rob Schmidt is trying to be Rob Zombie here. (laughs) Like he's trying to tap into that same thing. Although he probably wasn't because critics panned the Rob Zombie movie. So I don't know what he was trying to do. But there's something about Rob Zombie movies where it's more empowering to the hillbilly family, you know, like the the rural family. Yeah. They're not the heroes. Sometimes. Sometimes. But they are also not inherently treated as if they are stupid. Yeah. Those movies really dig into the fact that people think they're stupid and then learn otherwise, yeah. right? And this movie didn't dig into that piece of it. And I think Not at I all. think perhaps it's easy for some people to watch a Rob Zombie movie and not get the point that the Firefly family is not the bunch of idiots that they think. They're terrible. They're cannibals. <laughs> they're murderers. But they're not stupid. I don't know if they're cannibals. I don't remember. But they're definitely murderers. Yeah. They might be cannibals. Oh, I, you know, well, yeah, because the, the guy who runs the convenience store is definitely a cannibal. Right. 
Oh, are you suggesting that the fireflies don't actually eat they provide the humans? They just provide to meat to the rest. They're okay. working a job. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. It's been a long time. No, I I just think I think again it's about punching up versus punching down. It's about whose perspective you are telling. And so I think I still stand by the fact that I like the Rob Zombie movies and I don't like this movie. But mm-hmm. that might just be that I haven't really looked well, analyzed it properly. That could be, but also it's not it's not a years thing because you just loved 31 just a few months ago which for those was same very reasons. much that sort of thing. Yes, for those same reasons that it's not satirical, but it's definitely the point of the movies is there are these people who are downtrodden and considered below everyone else mm-hmm. and clearly they are not. Especially in 31, that's all that First of all, 31 is satirical, very much so. Yes, yes, that one is. And secondly, it's really about them being thought lesser, and they're not. Right. So, I don't know. But I think I'm going to score it a little lower than you. I'm going to give Wrong Turn two bear traps out of five. Just, yeah, it didn't age well, and that's sad. Yeah, I think that is true. Find the horror of a world gone mad. There are a lot of places I could have gone with the whole, like, political, social justice kind of situation (laughs) with this movie. I think we've talked about those at length. I also have made multiple hot tips about those kinds of topics. So today, instead, I'm going to do something a little different and say um, the hot political tip is um, I want to tell you very briefly how easy it is to come up with a phone script for calling your elected representatives. Oh, just like in this movie. That's why they needed the phone, right? Yeah. If you need to break into somebody's house to call your elected representatives. No, don't do that. Don't break into people's homes. No, it's so easy. It's, I, I think that a lot of people are very intimidated because, you know, politicians... We see them on TV all the mm-hmm. time. We think of them as larger than life and like somehow knowing more than we know. I have met <laughs> enough politicians in the last couple of years to know they don't they know don't anything know more any, than you They know. don't know nothing about nothing. Exactly. And it's all polish and whatnot. And you get up close to them and they are just average or sometimes below average humans. Yeah. <laughs> I say that because you do not need to be afraid to call them and tell them what you think. In fact, that's the whole point of our representative government. And to be clear, you don't actually get to talk to them anyway. You're just talking to somebody who works in their office who's going to be nice to you because they have to be. True story. And even more so... Most of the time, you end up just leaving a message on their voicemail anyway, because they don't want to talk to you in person any more than you want to talk to them in person. telephones are terrible. So anyway, if you're going to call, or this works for email, this works for text messaging, however it is that you choose to contact your representative, it is very simple. There are four pieces to it. One of those pieces is optional. First piece, you have to tell them your name and your address. Often you can just say your zip code because that's enough. Like districts are broken down by zip code for the most part. But for example, our congressional district, there are people in our five digit zip code who like it's divided. Like some of us are in our congressional district. Some of us are in the neighboring one. So, you you know, in, in that case, 
your whole address is going to be helpful. Anyway, name, address, and or zip code. Your second thing is going to be your request, your stance. I would like you to vote against X. I would like you to support Y. Whatever concrete stance you want marked down. I am in favor of or I am opposed to this in a simple sentence. The third one is the optional piece. You can add your personal reasons for wanting them to do that. You can tell your story of why this is important to you. That can be impactful. It can cause them to care a little bit more in some cases. It's unnecessary. They're going to mark down the same thing, whether you tell them your reasoning or not. But, you know, if you want to tell them, great, add that in. Fourth thing is not optional. Say thank you. Because as much as you may or may not agree with the people who are running that office or who are voting in in your favor, the staff members who take the messages are not the people who are voting on the floor. They are not the people in power. And it is important to be respectful of them. They are severely underpaid and overworked. So who are you? What do you want? Why do you want it? Thank you. Very simple. That sounds so easy. So easy. And if you have like six bills you want to talk about, you can say them all in the same phone call. You know, like it doesn't need to be separate. All right. Cool. You know what, people? You should not forget to call your elected representatives. That's my line. Oh, well, then I'll (laughs) say, you know what, people? Make sure you bring a map with you when you're traveling through the woods or the (laughs) Appalachian Mountains. Don't make any wrong turns. No, that would be bad. We'll see you next week if you make it there alive. Bye. Bye. Don't forget to call your elected representatives. Also, don't forget to call your elected representatives. ASMR, ASMR, ASMR. You can't just chew with your mouth full and call it ASMR. ASMR, I love your mom. I love your mom.